find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. You can support the show and get over a year's worth of bonus episodes over at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. Additionally, you now get early ad-free episodes. There is a link in our show notes and membership start at just $1. You can also support the show for free by leaving us a positive review and by telling a friend about us. Before we jump into today's case, we do have some tragic news. We have recently lost a friend of the show. We covered her aunt's case on episode 31. It's called Sister Slaying, a Double Murder in Houston's Heights. And it's about the murders of sisters Lily and Wileen Kennedy. Their niece... Jackie Elliott was very, very dedicated to getting justice for her aunts. And she and I actually had met in real life before we even started this podcast. And we just didn't realize it. She came to a murder mystery show that I was in. And I made a joke on the podcast that she and her aunts had looked familiar. And that maybe one day we'd run into each other and she would say, Oh, Danielle, I heard the podcast. Of course I look familiar. We met at a murder mystery show. Ha ha ha. And then when she did eventually listen, because she listens to everything about her aunt's case, she contacted me and she actually had a picture of us together at the murder mystery show. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is so crazy. She was like, I'm about to blow both of our minds. And she sent me the picture. We for sure posed together at the show. And it's just the wildest thing. And so she and I had communicated a lot. She was going to come on the show at some point because she has a lot of information that she's collected as she's advocated for her aunts because we actually have some weird laws here in Texas. Like, they eventually did catch her aunt's murderer after decades of the case going unsolved, but then he got a really short prison sentence and also got early release somehow despite committing an extremely brutal assault and murder in this this case. You can go back to episode 31 to hear all that happened. It's just insane, though, that he was basically given a slap on the wrist for murder. Just because it had been so long, they were like, okay, I mean, he's already been out for all this time. Why are we putting him in jail? And it's like, because he murdered two women violently and terribly and also sexually assaulted at least one of them. So what? why would you not put him in jail? But regardless, we just lost Jackie. She was only 49 years old, and it's just kind of traumatic and she died like i think the day before thanksgiving and so i just feel really bad for her family and our heart goes out to them because it's just hard to lose somebody period but to lose someone so young and who did so much with her life it's very sad and so we just wanted to take a moment to talk about her and how we will miss her and i wish that we could have had her on the podcast like we planned but unfortunately that didn't happen before her untimely passing. So I guess take a moment of silence for Jackie Elliott and the fact that she is gone from this world now.
All right. We are going to start today's case. We did take off last week on accident for Thanksgiving. Our patrons know this, but we did accidentally host Thanksgiving. It's not an accident, I guess, but we at the last minute decided to host Thanksgiving over here for my family. And so we cooked all this food and we ended up running out of time to record. But it was nice and we were less sad having it here because it was kind of a change of pace for the family. All right, so we are going today to White Springs, Florida in January 2015. White Springs is a rural town located on the Suwannee River with only about 750 residents. So let that sink in. That is very small. Yeah, 750. So that's extremely, extremely rural. It's located at the very top of Florida, right near the border with Georgia. So don't think of it as like regular Florida. It's like Georgia, Florida. Yeah, yeah. Fun fact, in the early 1900s, the town of White Springs had a four-story bathhouse that was a tourist attraction. The mineral water in the White Springs was rumored to have healing properties. And so people would actually visit White Springs to get into the mineral water in an effort to be healed from illnesses and like injuries and stuff. The bathhouse closed in the 1930s because that's when people stopped believing in mineral water healings. The ruins of the bathhouse are still there, though. You can visit them. Although the springs themselves in that area have dried up. So you can see the ruins, but not the water. Also, White Springs has an old-timey general store, and it hosts an annual folk festival. That's very quaint. I know. It's weird that a town of this small, of 750 people, is having a whole festival. Yeah, no, That's crazy. Maybe the entire town comes. Yes, maybe so. The Cornegay family lived in a tiny house at 1203 Sophie Drive on an unpaved dirt road on a wild plot of land in White Springs. A mossy oak in the front yard casts a shadow on the house, and the house is also bordered by trees, so it's like very foresty. Definitely looks like a rural setting. The yard of this house is very unkempt, so it had a lot of weeds and patches of tall grass, and this is where... The Cornegays lived. They included 37-year-old Keith, 36-year-old Misty, those are the parents, and they have four kids, 16-year-old Damien, 15-year-old Misty, who went by Ariel. Um, To be fair, if you'll notice, her mom's name is also Misty, so she goes by Ariel. 11-year-old Nicole and another three-year-old daughter whose name has been withheld. Keith supported the family by being a long-haul truck driver. Misty decided not to work, but she didn't exactly stay home with the kids. Instead, she liked to hit the road with her husband whenever she could, which was pretty often. So while they were away for weeks at a time, 16-year-old Damien was left in charge of the whole household, caring for his three younger sisters, who were 15, 11, and 3. Now, I'm sure that 11-year-old Nicole and 15-year-old Ariel were also doing chores. Yeah, I would hope so. Basically, we have two teenagers and an 11-year-old who are caring for a whole house and their three-year-old sibling. The older teens had both been attending Columbia County High School. At least, they had until recently. Damien still attended, but Ariel had been suspended for behavioral issues. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, so she was suspended, I believe, around, like, November-ish or so of 2014. 
And this case is taking place in January 2015. So that's sort of our timeline there. On Monday, January 5th, 2015, the police department in White Springs received a concerned call from a parent. She told the dispatcher that she was concerned about 11-year-old Nicole, who was friends with her daughter. Nicole had called her friend that day to say that she had run away from home and she needed a ride. She wanted someone to come pick her up from the local Dollar General. The mother went to pick up the preteen and found her 15-year-old sister with her. Naturally, this mother was concerned, so she had also called the police. As the 15-year-old and the 11-year-old were talking to the mother and the police, they were trying to explain that their parents weren't going to be home until 5 a.m. the next Tuesday, which was almost an entire week away. They were also acting kind of cagey. Ariel hinted that something might be wrong with her brother at home. And so obviously the mom and later on the police really wanted to know what was going on there. Of course, yeah. They said later that Ariel wouldn't make eye contact as she was talking to the adults. And instead, she was focusing on putting on her makeup and just sort of looking at herself in the mirror, which is kind of interesting to me because I know I've mentioned on the podcast before that I was a teacher for a couple of years. And I had students do that to me in class sometimes, usually when they were feeling uncomfortable about something or whenever they felt like they weren't doing well in my class. But instead of like focusing harder, they would deflect and kind of to protect themselves, they would decide that they were going to focus on makeup instead, which seems like a weird choice, but it makes sense to a teenager yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, where they're like, oh, I am i don't want to have to deal with you because I'm feeling embarrassed right now, so I'm going to get a, a mirror out and I'm going to put on lipstick for like 20 whole minutes as you try to talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty much what she's doing here. Eventually, though, they got her to crack and she revealed an awful secret to police. That Monday, January 5th, 2015, earlier that same day, Keith and Misty Cornegay had left their home to go on one of their trucker trips. They left at around 12.30 p.m., which is around noon, to start a long-haul trip that would last about eight days. According to Ariel, they gave shocking instructions before leaving. They instructed the older brother, Damien, to lock Ariel in her room while they were gone. Really? That is... I mean, why? Well, as it turns out... They had been locking Ariel in her room for months. They had decided that she had these behavioral issues and that the best way to deal with her was to just lock her in her bedroom and not let her out. That doesn't seem like an effective solution. You know, that seems like it would only create more behavioral issues. Yes. That's just my thought, but I mean, Mm -hmm. hot take. Hot take, (laughs) yeah. And we're going to learn a little bit more about how, how bad this is, but we're kind of unfolding here. The whole situation with the bedroom had started back in October 2014, and it had become a regular habit in the family. Now, despite the fact that her parents had said this, I think it was actually her mom that told Damien to lock her up, Ariel didn't want to be shut in there. And almost immediately after her parents left, she asked to use the bathroom, and she wanted to go to the real bathroom. And I say the real bathroom because... As I said before, they were leaving her in there, and this is not a big house. They didn't have a bathroom for her to use as a private bathroom. 
So, as a solution, her parents had just put a bucket in there. Wait, a bucket? Yeah, so she had a bucket in her room, and she had a blanket, and that's basically all she had in her room. So, if she needed to use the the restroom, they were expecting her to use it in the bucket. Wow, so they just put a bucket in there like you're in a horror movie. Yeah, exactly. Like a kidnapping victim, a horror movie, like some Saul stuff there. They have a bucket for her to use the bathroom in. In her room and a blanket for her to sleep with. No that, bed, nothing else. That's awful. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so, so terrible. Yes. And this had been going on for months that this had been happening to her. And so after her parents left, she wanted to use the regular bathroom. And she also wanted to use the shower. Well, Damien decided to let her use the bathroom, but he wouldn't let her shower. And this led to a fight. And she ended up calling her parents to complain. And at some point, they all decided that she would be allowed to shower. Now, there's some fuzzy parts about how the shower happened, but it appears that she was able to shower first and then was put back in her room, but she still didn't want to be locked in there. According to her, Damien physically assaulted her in order to force her back into her room. And after beating on her, he locked the door and then left. With Ariel crying in her room, Damien went to the living room to rest and lay down on the floor to sleep. So, while she was locked in her room, Ariel heard her brother snoring. And she realized that she had a chance. Because her parents were gone, Damien was asleep, and she was just through with it. So, she called Nicole over and asked her to help her escape. 11-year-old Nicole agreed to let her sister out. And so, she unlocked the door and essentially freed her from her prison. Honestly, though, real prison is better than this because at least they have flushing toilets. That's true. And a mattress. Yep. So Nicole let her out, and no one realized at that moment yet, but 15-year-old Ariel had had it. Like, all the years of abuse that she had sustained had taken a toll on her, and she was ready to crack. And so she came out of the room that day on a mission, She walked outside the house and she circled around the home to the window of her parents' bedroom. Now, while they were out of town, her parents just straight up locked the door of their room and there was no way to get through these doors apparently because instead of trying to break the lock, she chose instead to go to the window. She cut the screen out and busted out the window, which is a lot of effort. This isn't an easy task. Yeah, that's true. And then she actually crawled into the window to break into her parents' room. Wow. Yeah. What's in the parents' room? I'm about to tell you. Nicole helped with this, by the way. After crawling inside the broken window, Ariel retrieved a 9mm handgun and bullets from her parents' room. Oh, there it is. She loaded the gun, tucked it into her waistband, and crawled back out the window. I thought she might, like, unlock the door, but I don't know if maybe you have to have a key or something. Yeah, maybe it's one that we have keys on both sides or something Maybe so, because it would be, seemed like it would be very uncomfortable to crawl out the window. It does, yeah. But that's what she did. According to authorities, her sister Nicole helped her break into the room and get out. After she got the gun, she stalked around the house and walked back inside and found her prey, which is her sleeping brother. Ariel asked her sister Nicole to take their baby three-year-old sister and hide in a closet. And with her little sisters tucked away, she walked up to Damien And she fired one bullet into his neck. According to the girls, the shot actually woke Damien up. And he screamed, help, help, as he lay dying. 
Which is incredibly depressing, considering that he is 16 years old. Yeah, that is sad. It's hard in this case because Damien is, as we will see, is both a victim and also part of the problem. So it's it's hard to know how to feel about him because as a 16-year-old boy who's also been through trauma and has grown up in this abusive household, I feel sorry for him. And it's really sad that he died because obviously he didn't deserve to die for, for what he's done in the past. But it also is, is easy to understand why Ariel felt like she had to do this when she's been locked in this room. And we're going to learn a lot more things about Ariel's experience that will make sense when we're finished. Yeah. Okay, so after she shot her brother, she dropped the gun onto a blanket in the hallway. And then she grabbed her 11-year-old sister, Nicole. The sisters packed up some clothes and other belongings, like their Christmas presents from that year, as well as whatever money they could find, because they were just going to go start a new life together was their plan. Together, the girls ran away from home. And in doing so, they did the worst thing they did on that day, in my opinion, which was leaving their three-year-old sister behind with their deceased brother. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah, especially considering the fact that they knew that their parents were going to be back for, like, almost a whole week, and now their sister is left alone with this body is pretty tragic. Yeah, like, she wouldn't have been able to survive that long, Mm -hmm. probably, yeah. Yeah. And just so you know, the little girl did spend four hours alone in the house with the body. So, very traumatic experience that this little girl encountered. Yeah, for real. The 11-year-old and the 15-year-old did not have a plan, though. And as you can imagine, it's very hard for them to make it in the world at that age. And so, within a few hours of leaving home, Nicole decided that she would reach out to her friends for help. And thinking that maybe this would work out. But unfortunately, their story unraveled. And everything was brought to light. And that's, you know, they got caught. Instead of finding a place to stay, they found themselves in police custody. Officers rushed to the Cornegay home to assess the crime scene and investigate. And when they got there, the three-year-old met them at the door. And probably the saddest part of this entire story, the three-year-old's first words to police were, he's dead. Wow. And I just, as a side note, I don't think that three-year-olds are supposed to know what dead is. I would hope not. That really stood out to me. The police say that she basically was standing right inside the door and she said, he's dead. And I I just am trying to think of any time that a three-year-old that I knew in real life understood the concept of death. Because even at like funerals and when like your grandparents pass, I mean, I have little cousins and one of my cousins was very young when one of my grandparents passed and we really didn't even fully explain what was going on. And so I'm having a hard time understanding how a three-year-old even knows what death is to quantify, like to say he's dead, unless maybe the girls told her. But it's just sad that she spent that long with his body, though. Oh, yeah, it's very sad. Just this whole situation with the child is, is all of the kids are, their story is sad. But the three-year-old gets to me because she's just so little and she shouldn't know these things. That's very true. Authorities initially charged both sisters with premeditated murder. And the reason why is because they broke into the the house, intentionally got the gun, and then walked around. Although it was confusing because Ariel is the only one who fired the gun. And it's very obvious that she was the only one because there was only one gunshot. But they still charged Nicole on the same level, even though it seems more like she just helped her sister. She may not have known exactly what her sister was planning to do. 
娘，这小财物。Located on the edges of your radio static, you've stumbled upon the lost signal. Your podcast destination for tales of horror and the macabre, brought to life with voice acting and sound effects. New episodes are released every two weeks on Monday on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Join us, won't you? Sorry, the Third Circuit State Attorney Jeff Siegmeister was the person who was in charge of this case, and he revealed that he wasn't sure about trying them as adults. And part of the problem that he was having with whether or not to charge them as adults is that if he charged them as juveniles, they could only be held for 21 days. But if he charged them as adults, they could be held indefinitely. But if they were released, it would be really hard to figure out. Where to put them? Because at this point, they're they know that their parents are in trouble as well because they had actually arrested them too. Whenever they arrested, well, whenever they got back to town, the police also arrested the parents, Keith and Misty, because they were arrested on charges of neglect and also with child abuse. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Well, technically, I think it was initially failing to supervise their children. Ironically, though, the neglect wasn't because they left their kids alone for eight days on the regular while they were off gallivanting across the world. They also were doing the thing where they were leaving Ariel in her room with the bucket and the blanket. Yeah, that's definitely a crime. Yeah, and the police were able to verify Ariel's version of events because when you hear that, you're like. Oh, okay, maybe like the first time, like when the story first broke, it sounded like what Ariel did was horrible, and people were calling her heartless and saying she was lying about her brother being mean to her. And then the police were like, "No, like we went in there, and literally there was a blanket in a bucket. Like this is real. This really happened. She wasn't lying, and so that's why they charged her with neglect yeah. or the parents with neglect. I mean, they should though. Like that's totally fucked up." Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, they had the opportunity to stop all of this. Yeah, for reals, and it gets so much worse. Everyone, Nicole told the police that their parents were often locking Ariel in her room, and the room when they police actually got into it smelled like urine, and it didn't even have a bed in it. She just had to sleep on the floor with that blanket. That was her whole day because if you recall, she'd been kicked out of school for acting out. And so that was twenty four hours for her. It wasn't like she went to school and then came home and got locked in the room. She literally was spending all day in there. Now, according to Keith and Misty, because the police obviously asked them about this, they had a good reason to lock her up, and they blamed the behavioral issues. But the things they cited were things like stealing and talking back. And so you escalated to locking her in the room with a blanket and a bucket. Yeah. So that was something that stuck out to me is that if you. We're giving examples of something that someone did. Wouldn't you start with the worst thing? Like Judge Judy always yells at people for this when they're suing for stuff. 
that like if you hate your wedding photos or something that's the case that she will will ask you like give me the worst examples and so when people give her like regular photos she gets mad at them because if that's the worst thing that you got have to show her she doesn't want to decide in your favor and I feel like that's kind of what's happening here they are giving talking back and stealing as the reasons they locked her in her room those are not locking her in her room offenses like if she were like throwing the baby into a wall I might could understand how you got to that yeah. I still wouldn't I'm, agree with that choice, but I can maybe understand why they thought they had no other option if, like, she was physically assaulting people in the house to the po- and, like, running around with knives or something. Yeah. But it's, like, talking back. Everyone does that. That's right. I mean, I talk back to myself. I'm kidding. Yeah. With teenagers, though, that's, like, their whole job is to talk back to you. <laughs> that, that's true. I mean, you have to kind of decide to pick and choose, like, which parts you're going to get mad at. Because you're going to have to expect some level of it. you got to decide what parts are a problem. Like, if they're calling you a bitch, that's a problem. I mean, not a lock you in your room problem, but you got to address it. But if they're just being a little sassy here and there, then you're probably going to have to let it slide. you got to pick your battles, guys. Yeah, legit. That's my opinion, I guess. But, I mean, I'm not wrong because they're going to just, it's going to escalate unnecessarily. Nicole also revealed that the family rarely had food in their house, even when their parents were gone for days at a time. And while walking through the family home, the police saw signs that backed up the preteen story that all this was going down. But that's not all the investigators learned, because as more details came to light, it became clear that Ariel was living in actual hell. So, in 2010... Police had arrested her uncle, Kevin Cornegay, for sexually assaulting Ariel and filming some of the assaults. Holy shit. And in case you're wondering how they discovered all this, well, his wife, that's Kevin's wife, that's the uncle, had found videos of Kevin assaulting their niece. And because she's a wonderful person, she had called the police and turned him in for it. As you should. Yeah, so I guess we have one hero in this story, and it's Kevin's wife who turns him into the police for this nastiness. So, after they, you know, sorry, after Kevin got turned in, the police started investigating, and they found out that the sexual abuse had been ongoing since Ariel was 11, and it had not just been Kevin who had abused her. And in case you're wondering how do we know that part, well, seven months after Kevin's arrest in July of 2011, Authorities received a call about an incident in their home. Damien and Ariel were caught in a sexual situation by their mom. A sexual situation? Yeah, they were having sex. So the mother, Misty, actually did call the police when she spotted this happening. I don't think she was able to explain a storyline of what happened, though, because the police responded and they talked to the kids And they found out that before he had been caught, Kevin had been forcing them to have sex. Like, that was part of his... Ew. Oh, yeah. Very ew. So, somehow, though, after Kevin was arrested, the sex continued. And the part that's confusing to me is... Okay, so, Ariel was 15 years old in 2015. So, she would have been around 11, maybe 12, since they said that she was 11 in 2010 when all this happened as well. So she was like 11 or 12 when this incident happened. How is it? It's, I don't get, I don't understand how that's, how that's allowed. It, 
Shouldn't be. So what ends up happening is the police come out and they confirm that the they had been both sexually ab- abused because it's abuse that that the brother Damien went through that he was forced to have sex with his sister. Yeah. But then somehow it's continued to happen. It's unclear if Damien was forcing Ariel to do it or if she was confused and they both were just doing it because they didn't know any better. None of that makes sense. But what we do know is that the police decided not to do anything about it. And part of the reason is because according to CPS, the family stopped cooperating with investigators. But I don't understand how that ends because Ariel remained with her family along with her other two little sisters. So, I'm sorry. How are you leaving two kids in a house where this is happening? Yeah. Because they, at the very least, they should have both one or both of them should have been removed for their own safety. Like you can't just leave them together. Like I'm not trying to say that Damien should have been prosecuted for doing this. He might have been just as much a victim. It's unclear what's going on and who, who would if either one of them is a perpetrator in this situation. I don't think Ariel is, but is it possible that they're both just victims? It's possible because the original situation was a double victim situation, but like you kind of remove one of them. I mean, this is just going to continue. I'm confused. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that happened in November, 2011, Kevin received a conviction and a life sentence for assaulting his niece So at least he's where he belongs, in the jail. Absolutely. And, like, I know we've talked about how, like, you know, some stuff with the jail, the child molesters can be in jail forever. Like, we don't have, just forever for you. And if you are a child molester for some reason listen to this, you need to stop. I don't want you listening, period. Also, don't leave us a bad review, but just go to hell. Like, Look, child molesters can leave us a bad review all they want. Fuck y'all. Yeah, this isn't for you. You're not welcome here. Yeah. This is a safe space, not Legit. for you. I'll take... Yeah, I don't care what child molesters have to say. It, it, just being real. Yeah. Okay, so even though Ariel was supposed to get counseling as a victim, her parents never enrolled her in the counseling sessions. And I found that kind of interesting because most areas, if you qualify for victim counseling... Is usually paid for. So I'm not understanding why her parents didn't take her to the counseling. Obviously, she needed it. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, at the risk of being judgy, it sounds like they didn't really give much of a shit. I mean, they parents. were leaving their kids alone for weeks at a yeah. time. I mean, it seems like they, they really weren't engaged. In With being, no food. Yeah. And so that's probably why. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think it also kind of goes to why does she have behavioral issues? I know. Maybe because she suffered all of this abuse mm-hmm. and didn't get any therapy for it yeah it's just Girl wild figure. and yeah they're like expecting her to cope with everything alone and then locking her in her room with a bucket and a blanket and then being confused about why she's acting out honestly the fact that she didn't kill everybody way sooner than this and it's that she limited she limited herself to just one like honestly i think that that shows some bravery that she was able to hold the rest of it in because honestly i don't know how she's coping with all this As a 15-year-old, this is all weighing on her. Years and years and years of this type of abuse. Yeah, that's insane. That's so traumatic. And so, and like one of the things that I thought was wild is she gets completely expelled from school, which is insane to me because usually when you have a kid that's this traumatized, they at least have some kind of alternative school they can go to. Because don't get me wrong, it is hard as a teacher when you have kids being disruptive, but you do have to be aware of what's going on in their, in their, their home life which in this case explains all of this. 
as an example, I did not have this student, but I did teach with someone who had a student whose mom was actively dying from brain cancer. And of course she was having behavioral issues because she's going through grief. Like you have to understand where your kids are when you're teaching. And it does make me really sad that the school just essentially kicked this girl out when if nothing else, they knew about her sexual abuse history. I don't understand why she couldn't have at least been put in some kind of like in-school suspension or alternative education program when she, unless you're like actively trying to kill people at the school. And I'm not taking that lightly. I'm not, I know that people listening are probably like, what? That was so flippant. No, that's a real concern. Like obviously as a teacher, I was afraid of that. I mean, like if she did something that made them think she was a threat to people, I understand them removing her at that point. But like, if she's just talking back and doing things like this or even stealing, shouldn't she be in some kind of alternative program? That would make sense. Essentially, every single person in this girl's life just gives no shits about her except for her sister, Nicole. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Yeah, like everyone is just failing her over and over and over and over again. Like they're just letting her be traumatized and then be mad at her for having a reaction. It's just a tragedy all around. Now, this wasn't the only call the police had out to the house. In March 2013, they also responded to a call about property damage. And in September 2013, they showed up to the house on a civil matter. A civil matter. That was all that was explained. Interesting. Yeah. Still, the family continued with business as usual. Neighbors confirmed that the parents, Misty and Keith, spent weeks away on the road, leaving the kids to fend for themselves and... The neighbors also said that the siblings constantly fought with each other, and it was normal to hear them shouting and swearing at all hours. That does not sound cool. Yeah. So, after reviewing this entire situation with all the history of abuse, Third Circuit State Attorney Jeff Siegmeister announced about 10 days after the crime that he was going to charge Ariel and Nicole as juveniles, not as adults. Well, that seems like a good choice to me. Yeah. Furthermore, he also decided to charge them with second-degree murder, even though he thought he could convict them on first-degree murder because we know that there was some planning involved. Eventually, though, with more and more of this information coming out and, like, getting to know the girls and how they were when they were separated from their families, Mr. Siegmeister actually decided that because they lived a life of horror that he was going to take that into consideration. At first, when they were facing the second-degree murder charges, they were going to possibly get a maximum sentence of incarceration in a juvenile facility until the age of 21. Both of the girls were placed in a juvenile facility while they were awaiting trial. And fortunately, they went to a very comfortable facility that has fun activities, a structured routine, and proper care. So they were finally, for the first time in their lives, had someone taking care of them. Meanwhile, as a special note, the three-year-old had gone into Child Protective Services when all this originally occurred, so she had already been placed with a foster family. In the end, though, the prosecution decided to offer a plea deal to Ariel, and she pleaded no contest to burglary, which is a second-degree felony, and they opted to drop the murder charges against her. In exchange for her plea, Ariel agreed to attend counseling and to go back to school. She also has to follow rules set by her future caregivers, and she won't face jail time, but she is going to be on probation for an unspecified amount of time, which will likely be up until her 19th birthday. 
she also had to tell the truth about what happened with her parents because the state decided to try to prosecute her parents for all of their problems, their abuse and neglect. Which they should. Yeah. Ariel received this deal because the state was essentially hoping that she could be rehabilitated after years of trauma and abuse and not punished for something that all of this was built on something that wasn't her fault. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's really good. I mean, it's very progressive, but I mean, it's also, mm-hmm. I think it's the right choice here, you know, because yeah. I, mean, I think out, outside of this terrible situation, none of this would have happened. Exactly. It's just traumatic that someone would go through all that in the first place, but I just don't think it's surprising that she would come out and do something like that in reaction to her situation. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's yeah. good that she'll have an opportunity to, you know, to recover and, mm-hmm. to, you know, to do to do better. Yeah. You know, I mean, to, to have a better life. Yeah. Is the prosecution stated later that they believe that sending her to jail wouldn't deter that type of behavior for her in the future. Like there was no point to it, which it kind of makes sense because she'd probably just make her worse. Whereas if maybe if somebody actually invested in her, she would get better. And she does have all those rules to follow. Like if she doesn't follow them, then she, she faces at least going to juvie. But it's just very, very interesting that you actually see finally a case where someone is given that that potential to get better. Absolutely, yeah. So I hope that things worked out for her because she actually would be out by now, like off probation, just because this all happened in January of 2015. And that's, you know, over seven, almost eight years ago. So she should be out in the world doing stuff. In addition to offering Ariel a deal, authorities dropped the charges against 11-year-old Nicole. And although their parents wouldn't face murder charges, they did face charges of abuse and neglect. And in November 2015, both Keith and Misty pleaded guilty to intentional act of child abuse and child neglect charges. A judge sentenced them to two hours... Sorry. A judge sentenced them to two years of house arrest, 10 years of probation, and fines. Is it bad that I kind of wish that their two years of house arrest were in a locked room with a bucket and a blanket? It's not bad because I was like, no jail? Because they should have gone at least a little bit of jail. Yeah, that the what they did was bad enough yeah. to deserve some jail in, in my mind. And like, mm-hmm. I don't, to be clear, I'm not actually advocating for like torturing somebody by leaving no. them in a locked room with but a bucket and a blanket. But they can at least put them in the jail. But, yeah, I mean, I think my comment was more about, it, it seems a little lenient. For what they did and what and what that caused, you know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, their son probably would still be alive if they hadn't done all that shit. Yeah, even if they had just gotten her therapy, even if they remained being the worst ass people, but at least got them therapy, they might have gotten at least a little bit better. You know, that could have been an option. It's possible that it would have been better. Yeah, it's it's hard to know. It really is, but I mean, either way, it's just a tragedy all the way around, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry this case was so graphic. Originally, I just wanted to do a, a case about sisters who killed somebody, and then I came across this, and the original, like, Associated Press-type announcings about this were sanitized, I guess. I guess because all the details hadn't come out. And then, again, as the more that I learned, the more I was horrified and disgusted by what was going on and yeah 
So I traumatized everyone. This was supposed to come out last Thursday, but like I had written it in time, but we didn't have time to record. I guess it's good that I didn't release this on Thanksgiving. It's like, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy this horrible crime. Right. As I've talked about constantly, part of the reason why I think it's important to talk about these cases where kids are horrifically abused in some way is just that we do need to do a better job at speaking up as a society and advocating for kids like this. And I just wonder if her school, instead of is just kicking her out, if they had at least inquired into what was going on and maybe referred her to some kind of service, instead of just being like, no more school for you, enjoy your bucket room, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Legit. Damien is still a, a victim in multiple ways in this too. Like he also was abandoned. He also was traumatized by his parents and neglected. He also was sexually abused by his uncle. But then he himself also became an abuser it's just to the degree, to what degree, you know? Yeah. It's just hard because I understand why she did what she did. But I also do feel like in some ways, Damien will never, ever get justice because his parents should have probably been punished for what happened to him. And it's just, there's just no good that that comes out of this. That's very true. Like all of the good that could have come out of it would have happened if none of this ever happened. And Errol would have gotten help. Or at least, or maybe it would be nice if she never been victimized. But it just feels like that this could definitely have been been better. Oh, yeah. It didn't have to happen like this. Absolutely. All right. Well, we wish them the best, though. I hope that Ariel and Nicole and their little sister are living their best lives. And I hope that they're very far away from their parents, who hopefully have remorse and won't do something like this again. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. All right, peoples, let us know what you think. You can definitely send us emails at badxpot.gmail.com. You can follow us on social media. I'm going to try to remember to post the picture of myself with Jackie because I'm just really sad that she died. Apparently, everyone's dying. That's the thing that's happening now. I'm trying not to spiral about all the dying. But people just die whenever. I'm starting to worry about my own health and safety because so many people are just up and dying at young ages. And I'm just very confused about this. Hopefully you're all healthy and safe. This is me rambling. And hope you had a good holiday and that you're having an amazing December because this is going to come out on December 1st, which I'm, oh, I'm excited because I get to open my Ipsy Advent thingy. Nice. I know. Oh my goodness. That's how I get through the busy month of December, everyone, is I get an Ipsy Advent calendar and it has full-size beauty products in it. And I open them one by one and I feel happy every time that I open them. I get a little, I'm very I'm very present-oriented, unfortunately, as a person. And so I get very excited about presents. These are all presents for me. Anyway, follow us. Go to our website, bagspod.com. And let us know what you think and or send us case suggestions. I sometimes don't do the ones that are super popular. And I apologize for that. But I'm trying to be more open to them. Absolutely, yeah. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.